Welcome to Gender Weird, the podcast where we ruin your favorite movies by calling them gay. This is Jane from Style of Substance. And this is Vivian Strange. Today we're doing our season one finale of Gender Weird, and we're going to be talking about the show Euphoria by Sam Levinson. Um, it is an HBO series loosely based on a 2012-2013 uh, Israeli miniseries of the same name by Ron Lesham. Um, not many people have seen it, um, and from all I've read about it, it's not it's not great um so i've been trying to like watch like the original series but like i can't find subtitles for it so i've been kind of a little bit out of luck but like but yeah but basically like you know it's the hbo series is, is kind of based loosely off of this both of these series deal with like addiction and crime but it's the american version that it deviates completely from the narrative of the original series it ditches the context of a murder that sets in motion a chain of events for like you know, these, like, kind of, like, sexual youth. Many of the characters are very different. There's some things that are similar. Plot lines are invented by Levinson in the new series. So, it's a, so while yeah. every episode is kind of, like, gives credit to the original series that it's based off of, like, I think it's safe to say that this is kind of, like, the brainchild of Sam Levinson. It, it, it's uh, Sam's show. It, yeah. yeah, it is. And I think, like, one of the... I'll tell you one of the main differences between the series is that, like, well, the original series is horny, the U.S. series is hornier, and more importantly, gayer. Yep, it's um, it's more controversial uh, as well because of that. Basically, the show itself centers around uh, these teenagers. It's just a drama about them and their lives and explorations of them as characters, their relationship to society, each other, their parents, and the, the gender. Drugs. Drugs, drugs, sex, gender. Yeah, all that all that good stuff. Highly acclaimed, as it fucking deserves, because Euphoria is an amazing show. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also drawn quite a bit of criticism um, for myriad things, um, all that ultimately center around its creator, uh, the voice telling these stories, uh, Sam Levinson. I think there's a little bit of this reactionary kind of like response to Levinson's work, just just in general, because he's very extra, if you will. <laughs> yeah. He can be minimalist when he wants, but he can kind of be maximalist. He loves like his like sweeping shots uh, with, with his camera. He loves doing kind of like these crazy artistic kind of like exercises. You know, he likes to legitimize the experiences of kind of like the youth. And of course, the think about the children kind of people rear their heads and be like, um, this is glorifying um, addiction. This is glorifying drugs. This is glorifying underage sex. This is glorifying suicide or whatever. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But but what it does do is it really gets you inside of the heads of these characters. Mm -hmm. Also, like because like the, the series has so much like nudity and sex in it. Uh, there's so many journalists that kind of like start interviewing the uh, actors and try to press them and say because they, they they really just want to make a story out of it. They really want Levinson to be brought down. They really want to moralize this um, on the basis of thinking about the children. So it's like, so they'll ask all these different actors. And it's true that, that like, because like Levinson is a provocateur, he, he incorporates a lot of kind of like dark and sexual material in his work. Um, and that can be kind of a source of discomfort for some actors. So these actors will kind of come to Levinson and basically um, like request 
like for changes to be made. And the thing is, quite consistently, and this has been consistent from various actors, like, yes, there, there has been kind of like this discomfort, like with the script, and they've come to him. What is his answer every single time? Okay, we'll do it your way. We'll compromise. Yeah. Consistently prioritizes people's comfort. Now, it because it's a show that mm-hmm. is provocative, he still goes in, 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 in farm places. Oh, yeah. A lot of the moral outrage uh, and criticism uh, directed towards Euphoria, and especially, you know, just its content, especially in the production thereof. It's an excellent, it's probably the best example, I'd say, in the modern contemporary days of outrage mm-hmm. marketing um because i remember season two the way it was it was marketed it, controversies quote unquote strung out and like over the course of its if it's premiering which included uh fabricated stories that um exaggerated uh, supposed issues like on set and whatnot stuff that could be more appropriately blamed on the studios um such as Long working days. And, well, as far as and long working days, like, I think a lot of actors have kind of said, like, well, yeah, this is just kind of standard nowadays for, like, these big budget productions. One thing that Euphoria has always done is consistently hire intimacy coordinators. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very they're very diligent about doing that. And, uh, but the the outrage market marketers, uh, despite knowing that, you know, things are actually, you know, safe and this art is ethically produced... Uh, within relatively yeah within like you know people's people's comfort zones and you know the performers that are doing these things uh they've been constantly painted by the media as you know exploitative and just bad worth getting upset over and canceling levinson for but that's just not the reality (laughs) of of things um from from what I've seen, it seems like it's pretty consistent because I looked into this. It pretty seems pretty consistent that the actors are all defending him. Yeah. Okay. So, like for example, with the idol, like Amy Semites uh, left the project, and The Weeknd and Levinson kind of like redid it all. Which I mean, you could maybe have an economic argument against that, um, but this is normal for the industry. Allegedly, it was going too much in a female perspective, according to uh, The Weeknd. But I still have yet to see. A proper citation of of the context in which he said that, um, yeah. because it seems a little bit inconsistent. <laughs> Maybe he said it. Maybe he did. Um, either way, I, I failed to see evidence back in this quote. So the New York Times put out this article saying that people felt that the creative direction was kind of going to hell and back. But like, okay, and the creative direction was was good in the end. Yeah, exactly. Now, anonymous people between like 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 one director and another have claimed that it it kind of became this rape fantasy. But it isn't that. That's just yeah. their interpretation that, because they, they didn't, they liked what they were a part of. Now they don't like what they are now a part of. And it's first seemingly about the exploitation of the music industry, but only to reveal itself as a class analysis of the wealthy exploiting the poor. Allegedly, nothing bad actually happened on set and people were basically kind of like butthurt that the creative direction was redirected. The weekend was always the main person behind it and Levinson's role just kind of like increased. Personally, I think the show is good in the end, but that's kind of, but, but this episode isn't about um, the idol. Yeah, but th- the idea being that the outrage created over it is uh, overblown and sensationalized and in many cases just not true. Right, And it, but HBO was also kind of asking for that because they kind of like framed oh, it as yeah. like, oh, the... Uh, the provocateur or, or the, the the dark and twisted mind of Sam Levinson in the weekend is like okay but. exactly HBO is is they are 
you know, not, not just asking for it, they're, they're leading into that and playing it up. Because, like, honestly, I was initially cynical about season two. I, I've been on, of Euphoria. I've been on the Euphoria train since, like, the day it premiered in 2019. So mm-hmm. watching it all unfold in real time kind of made me disappointed with or disillusioned with the second season seeing how heavily it was characterized Mm by and sold with outrage marketing and these stupid baseless controversies i've come around on season two i think it's i think it's it's good Mm -hmm. uh for it's as good as it can be i don't really like how people have kind of like marketed him and sam levinson kind of like benefits from it ultimately because it's like oh you know he's like this provocateur in hollywood um you know among the other controversies, he's been kind of like accused of kind of like over over sexualizing like kind of like women's bodies, which is a bit misleading because he I mean, not to say that he doesn't like seem to like his women on screen. He does. Oh, yeah. But there's also like he does not seem nearly as interested in um, vaginas as he is uh, male penises. And I've noticed that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Loves that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe there's a little bit of chaser vibes. But more importantly, I think that <laughs> the. Uh, I think the better way to look at it is that okay. So we talked about open secrets in Hollywood before, right? Yeah. Um, in the in the episode about cellular closet and and disclosure, it, it's a it's a thing, a very very common thing, and especially today, af- when transness has become more visible and normalized, and several people in in Hollywood and just celebrities in general are queer and trans and and gender weird behind the clo- behind closed doors um keeping that in in their private lives and which you know is, is good for them i guess and as far as like the division between private and public life that's something that's like constantly explored in levinson's work yeah exactly and so much of the criticisms that i've heard from not just you know like the idol but euphoria and you know most of most of levinson's work is these stories would have been better if they had come from female perspective a female storytelling perspective and uh i'm sorry that criticism applied to any of sam levinson's work is bullshit and moot to me because um he's trans yeah sam levinson is is some variation of gender weird and i think it's i just i don't get how people can watch stuff like euphoria and i mean maybe it just speaks to media literacy but i don't see how people could watch things like euphoria and come away from it with oh this is a male gazy or this this uh because it's really not (laughs) it's very it's a very intersectional thing like the cool thing about euphoria is that it is not just about gender and queerness but is about youth the the experience of wanting to be happy wanting to just feel good the world is such a shit place how do we just feel good feel happy and gender is an extre- uh, extremely huge part of that because gender is an extremely huge part of why so many of us are so miserable but it also ties into right. things like uh addiction um and mental health, mm-hmm. because, like, we're an entire fucking generation of neurodivergent, uh, heavily medicated uh, kids, basically, um, who are all gender fucky and sexually confused and traumatized. His work, um, whether it be Euphoria, The Idol, um, Assassination Nation, you know, they, they all they all deal with gender in ways that, quite frankly, I think are too nuanced for cis people to account for. Exactly. And quite honestly, I don't see cis people doing things like this. If he says he's the only one. No, seriously. 
that, that that has any kind of like like voice in 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 the Hollywood system. That is, yeah, he's he's the only one. Everything regarding the thing is like, yeah, he has a character that's trans, but like everything regarding Nate is gender related. Oh yeah, everything regarding Cat and Cassie is gender related. Mm-hmm. Cat, Cassie, now, Maddie, and then like also like you know he projects moments of his life onto you know his female characters, including a trans character. He works in direct collaboration with queer people. Those who spotlight gay and trans people are more likely to be gay and trans themselves. I'm looking at you, Gaspar Noé and Zack Snyder. Now, <laughs> quite frequently, he surrounds himself with non-binary trans people and gives them a voice. Ezra Miller, Hari Neff, Hunter Schaefer. And all of these people, he's boosted the careers. You know, Neff has referred to him as one of the girls. Literally. <laughs> And, and again, like his works have a strong focus on the division of private and public life. And, you know, I think that makes sense because if people are already kind of out to frame him as like this bad person, you know. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it makes sense, you know. In addition to kind of projecting himself kind of onto these female characters, he also does that with people of other ethnic and racial backgrounds. Yeah. Um. Does he treat race weirdly? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> there's something that there's something that consistent and kind of like a little bit weird going on. But he, but it seems like to me that he wants to spotlight black people in particular. But he also doesn't want to white explain. But then when he when he doesn't directly address race, he's called to. And then when he when he does directly address race, he's criticized for it. And not to say that like another criticism is valid. That's not really like like either of our places to kind of like make that judgment. But the one thing I will say is that people have a tendency to undermine the collaborative nature of the writing process, especially yeah. with Malcolm and Marie. Uh, yeah, so the uh, the collaborative nature of everything that Sam Levinson makes is, it's under-discussed. Um, with Malcolm and Marie in particular, a very a heavy part of it, the perspective of a black filmmaker in Hollywood. Uh, and what people don't understand about that project was, one, it was a pandemic passion project uh, that you wanted to do with Zendaya because they wanted an excuse to keep working together because they Euphoria was paused, and they collaborated like on on the script. Both Zendaya and John David Washington, uh, mm-hmm. b- black Hollywood Woodians, um, and so that's that's something that and and same with Assassination Nation, like the all the main the girls in the cast had heavy input and they changed and altered things in the script um to you know match you know more in line with their experiences that's that's where the that's where Hari Neff saying that uh Sam was one of the girls that's where that came from and remember Neff said that she was a little bit reluctant to kind of like um you know, attach her name to Assassination Nation until she kind of got an email from Sam Levinson that kind of like broke the ice and made her feel a lot more comfortable. And like, oh, I, I kind of had a prejudiced assumption about who this person was. Because, you know, on the surface, a guy, a Nepo baby, you know, the son of Barry Levinson, the director of like Rain Man and, and blah. Um, I don't care about Barry Levinson. Um, Same. And I'm not sure that Sam does either. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely but, a complicated relationship. But I, but I guess like when it comes to like, like the, the more racial aspect, um, people will say that these characters are can be a little bit stereotypical. And that might be the case, like for in some to some degree that they may kind of check the boxes of certain like tropes. But I think people also tend to not see the depth of these characters, even if they kind of like embody some stereotypical elements to them. They're not like they're not merely stereotypes. Like there's more to Maddie, for example. 
Yeah, like honestly, Maddie in particular, um, glad you mentioned her because there's so many good characters on Euphoria, but she's one of one of my absolute favorites um, because I, know, I relate to her in, in, in many ways, but also just her complexity is, is very interesting. She's the kind of character who in a show not made by queer and trans people be much more villain like vilified and uh she, right. she would not she's like people would she's hate a little her. bit manipulative but like i think part of that comes more from the fact that she's in a toxic relationship yeah and and with the backstories everyone's given like oh yeah they, they neuroses and problems make sense the, the, i feel like a lot of these characters they, they are so multifaceted there's a lot going on with them um but yeah does he treat race a little bit weirdly perhaps <laughs> um, yeah we're not really qualified to speak too much on that just want to just want to point out the collaborative nature uh of things and that he, he is not a singular singular white voice trying to impose uh just like impose his voice on over the stories of marginalized people he does channel like part of himself through his characters though whether that be like um somebody that's that's female or somebody that's like toxically masculine or somebody that's that's black that's from a different background you know he's somebody that's given this privilege this platform he wants to elevate you know minority voices but i guess like that argument the fact that he's so interested in elevating minority voices that might kind of like be a way for people to kind of think, oh, well, I don't think he's trans because, you know, he's just trying to do his best or at least, you know, elevate gay and, and, and you know, gay people and people of color. But, but I think that's also a little bit of a scapegoat. <laughs> yeah. And like, honestly, just seeing what, how, how much or rather how little cis Hollywood is actually trying to do for, for us regarding trans stories, uh, like, as far as I'm concerned, Sam Levinson can be an honorary member of the trans community for what uh, they've given a contributed to our culture, especially in Euphoria and Assassination Nation. Like, like that shit is the tr- part of the trans canon and is revolutionary in its own right. You know, from like Malcolm and Marie might not be like kind of like directly about like queerness. I honestly interpret the whole like quarreling like between like the marital couple. I view that as like. You know, it's extreme, but it seems to be this back and forth wrestling between the domineering masculine side and the Mm -hmm. more submissive feminine side. And it's the feminine side that's clearly the most agreeable and reasonable. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm Team Marie all the way. Oh, Team Marie. Hell yes. (laughs) You know, this is a line from from the film In, in reference to directors being criticized for kind of like employing the male gaze. Um, It said, you know, they could be transitioning and you wouldn't even know it. It's only then that you look back and wonder what the fuck it all meant. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You don't just put something like that in a film. Like it's 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 very, it's significant. And yeah, and in Malcolm and Marie, just the whole dialogue between them as a man filmmaker who does stories about experiences that he doesn't share and his feminine counterpart, the one behind the scenes, the one who actually provides the inspiration and the feminine side of Sam themselves, that's the vulnerable side, the one that has been marginalized. And so, yeah, it's Malcolm and Marie is really just a conversation of Sam arguing with himself, uh, basically. Right. But I feel like I, I, we get like bits and pieces of that throughout like Euphoria 
and the idol and like oh yeah absolutely. Pre- pre- pretty, much, pretty much like all, all of his work i mean didn't you say that in like in another happy day his first film like you know his self-insert character in one scene is even like wearing their mom's like clothes by the yeah. way and is played by ezra miller who was who is non-binary yeah um, and this was before ezra miller was like a big thing also just other other things to note about sam levinson just as a as a person and you know their their history and life background and whatnot um sam was a child actor appeared in many Mm -hmm. of their father's films and things like uh in the idol in particular the way that the industry you know exploits the vulnerable it's a common theme and i think it's interesting that zendaya is one of uh uh his go-to self-inserts because zendaya was a child star she's a Mm -hmm. disney channel girl um, well, well, well that's, a, that's a type of people he kind of gravitates towards and then also like yep. being kind of a, a little bit of a nepo baby which for the record nepotism doesn't just refer to privileges and wealth gained by family but also friends so every time martin scorsese uh cast uh leonardo dicaprio in one of his films that is nepotism yeah and nepotism is not is is not a bug it's a feature it's how the industry works people are so quick to criticize nepo babies but like what if they're talented what if they're more talented than their parents should they just not work and do art Ex- um, exactly they like, have this privilege they, they have this platform and if they're able to provide something interesting why not you know in addition to gravitating towards trans people Levinson seems to gravitate quite a bit towards uh, other Nepo babies and other child stars and things like that. Yep. And, you know, whether it be Maude Apatow or um, Lily Rose Depp or, or John David Washington, there's a reason why, you know, he works with these people, why he gets along with these people. Yeah. The reason why I'm, I'm gendering Sam Levinson with masculine pronouns is because from what I know, that's what um, this person goes by on a public in a, in a public sense and quite frankly i am not a pronoun essentialist <laughs> yeah. um that's not to say that i don't view him as like non-binary or female or something like like i i do yeah um it, it, but but i i, I just I, I yeah i i alternate between like you know he and they generally uh because i have i have heard every interview everybody talking about sam in the third person for a while, used exclusively they them. Um, oh, really? I didn't. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And so, or they beat around the bush and say Sam, Sam. Yeah, you know he or she. Yeah, I mean, like if I remember right, that that, that one interview where where Harry Neff says like you know Sam's one of the girls. I think she does say at one point like he's an odd man or something like that. But yeah, that also can break an the ice and not give you don't give it away too much, you know. Yeah. In that interview, I, it seemed like Harry Neff in particular was kind of offended by the question about the male gaze. It reminds me of when uh, Chloe Grace Moretz and Desiree Akavan were in a. Um, uh, an interview about the miseducation of Cameron Post, wherein Chloe plays a uh, a lesbian who gets sent to a conversion camp, um, and they ask the question, "What do you? How do you feel about the issue of straight actors playing gay characters?" Referring to Chloe, and Moretz was just like, "You know, it's really rude to just assume people's sexuality." Um, That's also what Neil Patrick Harris was saying about being cast in the Broadway version of, of, of Hedvig. Mm. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Angry Inch, because it's like, okay, well, why assume my gender? And that's what John Cameron Mitchell also took offense to it. It's like, we might not be trans women, but like, who's to say that our gender is completely um, fixed? Exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and honestly, I think the whole uh, rhetoric about 
you know, can't assume people's gender or sexuality. Uh, I think that cuts both ways um, in that I mm-hmm. am not going to believe that Sam Levinson is a cis male unless he he has to come out as one and, and clarify. Otherwise, like, I don't buy it. I'm not making that assumption. I think one reason why they're not out is because they're kind of like saving face and they're kind of... Uh, they don't want to be seen uh, as more... They don't want more reason to be called, like, a predator. The same stuff that we've been talking about yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, and and honestly, like, I, I, I've said this before, um, I think if I were Sam Levinson, something that would make me hesitant about coming out um, would be the backlash from the trans community over perceived uh, problematics. And, like, I... It might loosen up a little bit too. Yeah, it, it's hard to tell with our community. It's 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 fucked. <laughs> um, well, it depends. Are we talking about like the like online crybabies, or we're we talking about just people that kind of like do their nine to five each, each day? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like well, the, yeah, there's a okay, difference. Th- yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, like honestly, when it does come out eventually, because it will uh this is the age of the internet it's not this it's what not all possible. those films are alluding to <laughs> um, <laughs> right uh and, will break. You know, and yeah when when it does for most people i i imagine i would hope it'd be like uh uh i just rewatched the always sunny episode where mac comes out and the 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 legal arbitration and the way everyone reacts to that is yeah i appreciate that's how i imagine it'd be for most <sighs> I just think we should focus more as, as a as a public, as a media consuming public, on acclimating ourselves to and not falling prey to outrage marketing because it right. really is the most effective uh, way that uh, that the industry is relying on. And leftists ca- and leftists are not immune to being reactionary. I should say. Oh my God! Yes, <laughs> like, for out- real. Out- outrage culture. Circling back to like the idol when 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 that New York Times article dropped, they they, they alluded to the scene. They're like, oh wow, you know, Sam Levinson is just like making this like male rape fantasy. There's going to be a scene where Lily Rose Depp is going to have an egg in her vagina. Oh wow, I'm sure that Lily Rose Depp didn't like that. It was like well, you're not reading the actual article where it actually says that. That this scene was cut. Yeah. The, the scene was not filmed because of logistics. And they're like, oh, wow, what a pervert. <laughs> but also, Lily Rose Depp has said that Sam Levinson is the best director that she's ever worked with. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, I think they should yeah. have put the scene in because I, I love In the Realm of the Senses and uh, Short, Short Bus. Short for and- that matter. Short Bus and In the Realm of the Senses both have an egg in the vagina. Like, I'm sure it's like a reference to one of those. Honestly, in context, the reference makes sense because uh, what it is, is it's a it's a method of control in, in you know, power play between, you know, between couples. Is like, yeah, hold an egg in your pussy for me. <laughs> um, also, it speaks to the themes in the idol, their whole relationship, that whole thing. So, like, it would have been dope. Um, People were also saying, like, oh, look what The weekend's doing. Like, The, the weekend is, like, it's like being rapey. It's like, that's not The weekend. That's his character. <laughs> you know? Um, there's probably some good criticism out there. I'm not saying there isn't. But so many people are pumping up their, their videos and, and just, like, moralizing this thing to death because it's an easy target. You know? And, in fact, I, I have actually heard just some things from one or two people who have made uh, heavily critical idol videos um, that their perspective on it since has changed and they don't necessarily 
still commit to it, it, it it's impulse it's like this reactionary kind of reflexive thing where they think oh oh i mean clearly you know there, there's like this like this creepy perverted man in hollywood that exploits actors and 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 is like taking over a woman's project they're not really looking into it they're not thinking about it and i don't hear enough about it from a more class perspective people get mad about the fact that jocelyn isn't like necessarily completely an abuse victim and that she herself is also an abuser exactly guess what <laughs> you want to hear something about the wealthy and the and the culture it constructs and the way that people are exploited and then to become an exploiter when it comes to discussions about Hollywood and the entertainment industry, in the entertainment industry, the entertainment industrial complex, I, I think I think we need to move more towards in the direction of the idol in terms of it needs to be discussed as a class issue because right. especially with the writers strike, the writers and actor strikes happening, it is an issue of labor and of class because. I've thought in the past that, like, Sam Levinson is rich and, rich and famous, like, coming out and being oneself in, in public eye is, you know, it'd be a good, good thing for, you know, for us. And also, you know, what is, what does he have to lose? Everything? Yeah. It is still virtually impossible for a trans creator to, to really make it and be solidly successful in the mm-hmm. industry. He's able to accomplish more by being closeted. Yeah. Sam Levinson doesn't own the means of production. Sam Levinson is at the mercy of the studios. The the infrastructure responsible for things like poor working conditions uh and, you know, long days and like miscommunications and and, and shit like that. Like we need to refocus. Uh we need to stop falling prey to outrage marketing, especially from HBO hbo discovery max whatever whatever that fucking conglomerate entity is is called now um (laughs) like they're because they're really good at it they're really fucking good at it um they've been practicing for a while uh but yeah we need to just stop learn to stop falling prey to outrage marketing and actually like thinking about things especially the entertainment we consume in the context of class and labor all right so so let's talk about euphoria Okay, uh, Euphoria, the, the, the actual, like, subject of today's episode. Tell, you want to tell us a little bit about your relationship to the show? Knowing me, if something is being hyped, I don't really want to watch it, but I was interested in, uh, um, engaging with kind of more trans representation. I heard Euphoria was good, um, a lot of people were recommending I watch it, so I did. And I immediately loved it. I loved Rue, I love Jules, I love the whole dynamic. I, I, you know, ironically enough, it kind of made me addicted to it. And I was just <laughs> watching episode after episode after episode. And even before I was done with the series, I started writing a video because I knew that would be a video on my channel. Yeah. And in the middle of that, that's when Elaine, um, this is why television shows should be on Letterboxd. Um, the, the Damn two right. specials, I logged them and, and, and Elaine saw that and she reached out to me and I thought, yes. This chick is the exact person who I want to talk about Euphoria with, so I did, <laughs> and um, and it's actually like like for her, it was that film that you know she was questioning gender for quite a while, gender and sexuality. What like she would call herself gay, but what exactly does that mean when she likes girls? What yeah. exactly does that mean when she doesn't feel, you know, herself? And it was Euphoria that kind of like cracked her egg, and it was seeing Hunter Schaefer. Yeah. It, it, it kind of like reshaped her whole worldview. It was because Hunter Schaefer is hot that uh-huh. that Elaine ended up coming out as transgender. 
Yeah. Um, but then also, like, it has a bit more nuanced discussion of everything. Because, like, yeah, she's hyper-feminine and stuff like that. But this is what really got to me. This is what really spoke to me. By the time of, like, in the, the special episodes where basically she, you know, talks about gender on a more personal level. Um, and, and of course, this is Schaefer speaking a lot of the time and kind of reflecting on her own experiences. So, something that a lot of trans people fall into hyper performance of the desired gender, you know, hyper, you know, hyper femininity, hyper masculinity at their own detriment of their mental health. And then that can kind of have this a bit of a toxic influence on them where they start maybe like re-questioning things and, you know, consider detransitioning. That's where Elaine was at at one point. And I kind of have thought that too. Yeah. But in reality, I think like what we, what trans people need to understand is like, you know, you've already accepted that you're different. Why conform to this, the, the social norms that, that kind of like patriarchy has on you? Yeah. Whether that be as a trans man, a trans woman, whatever, because you can be who you want to be, you know, in the, in, yeah. in the wise words of Barbie. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that's been that like Jules kind of goes through. She even starts kind of experimenting with her gender. She ended up kind of like lapsing on that a little bit by the end of the second season because she was like, all right, you know, I like being feminine. Um, because, yeah. but, but for a while she was like really on guard. Like, you know, I'm going to wear a binder because I don't want men to define me. Well, yeah, well, guess what? You kind of like, you kind of like dudes. Yeah. <laughs> you you kind of like dudes. You like girls. And, and, it, and it's a bit more liberating than that. And basically gender is something that, um, this is what the show understands a lot. Gender is malleable. What really gets to Nate about Jules is the fact that she radically, like, um, affects his perception of everything, of sex, of she gender. Cha- she changes everything he knows about any of this. She's a threat to everything because she's out and proud. You know, when she visits Cal, when she hooks up with Cal in the first episode, he's like, oh, do you walk around like this always? And she's like, yeah. Yeah. He's repressed. And, and that's what he teaches to his son. But, you know, Cal is like, he's, he's a sex fiend behind, <laughs> um, behind closed doors he he frequently takes like young boys and and sometimes women and um and like trans people he says it himself um, he's a faggot and a chaser (laughs) he's a faggot he's a chaser he's a sexist he's a pig (laughs) he eats what he kills he fucks men he fucks women he fucks transsexuals and that's that's in his words yeah um it's great and then he films it he's a voyeur he films it secretly and he goes back to these tapes his son finds these tapes nate and he, and he grows up with this, with this like understanding of masculinity of it being this, yeah. this, this clear divide between public and private life. So when he sees Jules at the party, a girl that he had already fawned after immediately starts to like kind of like objectifying her. Cause what he knows about trans people is from pornography. Yeah. It's, and more specifically, tapes that his dad shot. Yeah. He, him getting with Jules, like, um, yeah, I'm sure, like, he had some kind of, like, revenge of, like, blackmail motive behind it, but somewhere within all of that, his construction of the identity of Tyler is a, um, it's, it's sincere, and I think that's when he realizes that Jules has already told somebody else about his dad that he's like, okay, I am going to end this. It's when he, he sees their interaction at the, at the carnival. Well, well, part of it also is, like, I think that even when, like, Nate first shows up to the date, um, with, uh, the date at the park at night. 
I, I do wonder if when he if when he first approaches her that he's kind of like um actually being sincere too because I think he is he has, has mixed thoughts he has conflicted thoughts I mean he just choked out his girlfriend for goodness sake yeah um and because because like the order is being disrupted and he's like well maybe I can have this but then she doesn't trust him he lashes out this is how men do things you know quite frankly their whole conversation the the best sex that Joel's ever had because it was like it was imaginary um yeah that whole online relationship that they had and him catfishing her the entire time well catfishing while also protecting his own identity and he's falling in love with her oh yeah but i think like but i think like the 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 scene that's set to the song work where it's split screen you see like what they do during the day love it i oh i was in love with that scene um Everything that Nate does, he has a straight face and he, and he's, and he's like normal or whatever. Meanwhile, Jules is kind of like giggling and kind of like, you know, throughout the day. But at nighttime, when, when Nate has his covers over him, he smiles while texting her. He smiles like a, like a boy in love. And that's when he's being confronted about like, you know, you found me on a gay app. Yeah. But also in that same, scene there, there's a split screen where basically they become one person in a sense because they're both looking in the mirror again mirrors and there's a dividing line the split mm. screen in one half you see female body another half you see male body and the thing is nate worked hard to get that that masculine that machismo to him and then there's this yep. trans chick you know this is um both of them have worked at gender in one way or another but now yeah. his, his perception of gender and, and what he can be and who he can love is, is challenged but then he, he's scared he's weak but they're in love but 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 they're in love with each other. I hate Nate very very much, but I don't think it would be surprising to me if like later on down the the fictional timeline he and Jules did become a thing because like I mean they're terrible for e- they they would be terrible for each other. Uh it would make good storytelling. It would be good storytelling, yeah. Um also if Nate were to ever like if Nate ever wants to redeem himself for me uh it has to just transition um <laughs> uh, well yeah but also like the, the the hint at him being trans somewhat maybe that's a radical take but they do yeah this is his dream in the second to last episode of season two his whole perception of sex and stuff he, he has his back turned on himself in in the mirror kind of like the painting not to be reproduced and he and he, and he looks back he sees the women of his life maddie cassie and jules and also himself himself and in relating to his dad dominating him and dominating the women of his life that's kind of like a fear and anxiety a um a nightmare that he has how he views women is like is he's looking at it from like his his his, his dad's private life and the, the person who looks through the mirror is jules as she comes up to him yeah and we, we see things so like in, in a way he sees himself in these women and jules is almost the gateway. Yeah, Jules and disrupts everything that he knows about straightness. Yeah, the the thing with Nate, um, because I also had the same reading when I first started watching the show. Uh, was that's funny because nobody else does exactly. I mean, everyone think, uh, oh, Nate's Nate's closeted, like Nate's gay. But like, honestly, that's just the surface of the text. It's like, yeah, no fucking shit. The dude. Oh, yeah, and like, that's something that people have also complained is the fact that the quote homophobic unquote um trope of a closeted gay person being kind of like the misogynist or being kind of the the womanizer or kind of the bad person but 
guess what, Buttercup? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the homophobes and transphobes are fucking closet. Yeah, even like themselves. political pun, even political pundits. <laughs> this is something that's kind of talked about in Assassination Nation as well. And, and it's like even like the politicians that are like anti-gay and, and anti-trans, they push this legislation. You know, they cross dress behind closed doors maybe they too have a little bit of a you know they're either tranny chasers or or they're closeted gays and and, and all that they're they're closeted in some way what they're hiding from the world i think that's reflected of her own kind of like life and 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 the political pundits that are within it i i I do think that michael knowles is gay the guy that called for the eradication of transgenderism is gay his failed acting career includes a small role in which he sleeps with a man he has taught he has told Blair White, who he's absolutely fascinated by, and 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 has this puppy dog face when when he's around her, that trans people ruined cross dressing for him because cross dressing used to be fun. You like said, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, bro. Ben Shapiro is also gay, and yeah. so and so and so is Jordan Peterson. Um, Jordan Peterson may be a little bit of a sapiosexual, if that makes sense. Oh my <laughs> um, insofar as he's attracted to male minds. And that's kind of the, uh, mentality I get, you know? Like, nobody yeah. talks about their wife in the way that they do. Yeah, it's... Matt Walsh, I think, is just a pedophile. I don't know if he's gay. <laughs> oh yeah, Matt Walsh, Matt Walsh is a pedophile. Um, definitely. But going back to, going back to Nate, and everybody who engaged even a little bit with euphoria could tell like that was the thing that that yeah nate was nate was actually gay nate 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 want 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 some dick but the trans the trans reading was uh yeah that was that was that was more like an us an us thing i'm not like convinced that he's necessarily trans but there is part of him that he wrestles with he wrestles with gender on the inside it's not a far-fetched jules has already gone there Jules is ahead, and he loves Jules. He wants to be like Jules. The, one of my favorite scenes in the entire series is when Jules is high at the party. You know, she's with that. She's with her um, her short term girlfriend, uh, um, Anna, Annie, or something. She imagines Nate shows up, confesses his love, has makeup on, and she imagines dominating him because that's what she truly wants. And that's what he wants too. We know that's what he wants because that's what yep. that's what that's what Cassie does. Uh-huh. <laughs> and but then it triggers a kind of like a, you know the nightmare that he has with his father. Oh yeah, makes mm-hmm. this whole thing with Maddie make a lot of sense to me because uh, mm-hmm. Maddie's Maddie's gay. Uh, for anybody who who doesn't who doesn't know, yeah, Maddie's Maddie's fucking lesbian. Um, she and, wants to be loved. Yeah, it, and she's her relationships with women are immensely immeasurably more satisfying to her and happier and healthier for her than any of her relationships with men um she especially like the woman that she's like babysits for like in the second season she tries on her like dresses and stuff oh yeah very homoerotic uh and like honestly my uh end game ship uh maddie and cassie like I, I, I swear to God, they're they were made for each other. I'm not really one to ship characters, but I'm 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 very much pro um, uh, Nate and <laughs> Nate and or more specifically, uh, I guess you could say Tyler and uh, Joel's. <laughs> yeah, same. I'm. But, but, I'm but uh... The thing the thing is, like you know, Nate he wants to give in to his desires with Joel's, but he, but instead he he's a victim to society, so he manipulates and controls her to maintain the image of perfection for his dad and, and him. Yeah, for outsiders looking in. Yeah, and and that's a huge reason why like 
Cal dropping all dropping all pretense and everything in the second season. This is who I am. Fucking deal with it, y'all. Mm-hmm. It's a, such an upheaval for for Nate because you know he, he's not ready for that kind of that kind of openness and honesty about like himself, right? Uh, it, and and I feel like when he's like watching the play and he, and he sees kind of like Ethan kind of portraying him and everything in the situation so gay. Well, that just tells that is kind of like reveals what the subtext was in the first. In the first episode, with them all being shirtless and kind of talking about girls, but kind of like hitting on each other, right? And yeah, oh my god! And I love, I love how uh, is this thing that like straight guys do, getting off vicariously through their bro. Like I think about when in the premiere for season two, when he's uh, after the way he talks to McKay, the way he talks to McKay is like, is like, dude, what the fuck? You were you're so horny because the idea, the idea of that's his way of being intimate with other men. It's like it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we were we were both inside her in the uh in the span of an hour and that's that's fucking hot. That's hot to him. <laughs> no, oh, <laughs> he, oh, he likes... oh for sure. Oh for sure. One of the reasons he he has he has a problem adjusting the queer side of him is because his understanding of queerness was developed at a young age through his dad. Yep. As this private, ugly thing. This hidden thing that we don't talk about. But 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 then as a result, that's kinda, you know, Jules kind of like completely radicalizes his 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 worldview slowly but surely and kind of like over time he becomes he quite frankly becomes a better person he's not redeemed like the internet seems to like argue he is although i wouldn't it wouldn't matter if you were get over yourself with the with like being against redemption narratives yeah like you know he does idealize her in a way because like the thing is what i've noticed about like trans people is people treat trans people as being like the solution to the problems that both genders bring yeah and it's almost this bridge and then also but then also one reason why i think so many people can be kind of like uncomfortable with trans people is because it threatens their perception of themselves too because because it's like oh you can transition does that mean that i could be trans or i could transition i don't want that that freaks people out but also they also don't like the idea of like potentially being attracted to somebody who used to be a guy or or you know girl or whatever you know yeah um yeah, my my interpretation of Nate as being a being an egg came from okay. So my personal relationship with the show Euphoria, um, I came to it uh, very different circumstances. Um, right when it first started airing in 2019, my uh, my partner had discovered Assassination Nation uh, previously, and we came to the conclusion that the guy who made this movie, the assassination nation, um, might not be entirely cis. And then I started watching euphoria. So you, you were kind of ahead of the curve with this. Oh one. yeah. Oh, way ahead <laughs> of the curve. Like, at, cause as soon as I started watching euphoria, I was like, Oh, okay. And it, by the time it got to the, the, the work montage, um, okay. This is just, pa- this is painfully obvious. My relationship to transness, uh, had been one way before Euphoria, and then I watched Euphoria, and I saw representation that I I had never I never seen it before. It was I knew I was watching something revolutionary when it was happening. Mm-hmm. See, I connected very very palpably to Rue because I mean, honestly, I think most of us can being uh, a a generation of uh, deeply mentally ill, troubled, heavily medicated, yep. uh, anxious, gender weird kids who like 
the world's the world's ending and we're not even out of high school yet or it feels that way um jules showed up as literally a manic pixie dream girl as her love interest and it was clear from the beginning to me that this character was a love interest for her the fact that they were so casual about jules they they don't spotlight jules transness at all well they do in like the fourth episode with her backstory but like yeah, but like before then, that's what I think helped helped me coming as as someone who was already trans and very you know in enmeshed in trans culture at that point because I got a lot of the subtext that I think was lost on a lot of people. Like I know some people uh, saw her injecting her hormones in the first episode and thought that she mm-hmm. was on heroin. <laughs> um, they lo- watched her sexual encounters with you know Cal and then you know as a scarier more awful uh deviant thing that it actually was because like if you know what trans hookup culture is like for a lot of us i I mean like i've been in situations like that i same don't and really but the the portrayal of jules and her transness as as being something that it was obvious to me but i could tell not obvious to all general audiences watching something about that just it struck a chord in me that like uh, wow, this is this is being made by someone who understands us and what we are. And then as it mm-hmm. as it as it developed, um, the the culmination of the first episode, the shot of them in bed, uh, is I think one of the most astounding revolutionary shots in television. Because one, it is the first time I have ever seen girl bulge portrayed on screen and in a way that's not like as like a punchline of like you know a crying a crying game like parody exactly exactly and it even more so it's in an erotic one too a homoerotic one Mm -hmm. have an i have an idea that's like you know where the lesbians in the room know what's know what's up uh know that you know it's like oh oh damn ruth's just going for it then she's like, you want to get high, subverting our expectations. But like the context is heavily erotic mm-hmm. and heavily sapphic. And it was it was one thing seeing a trans character very casually portrayed as just a a, a, a woman existing and, and living her life and in her own skin, but also her being a sexually desirable love interest. That's also something I find interesting about Kat. Like, like Joel, she's a victim of, of kind of like, um, you know, patriarchy and, and stuff like that. And, you know, objectification. Body terrorism, as she says. But yeah, bo- body terrorism and kind of being like exploited. But also like they, they are framed as people who, as women who are sexually desirable to a lot of men. Yep. Even if they won't admit it. Men and women fucking love transsexuals and and are deeply attracted to us say what you will about danish girl the one thing i like about it is this is how quickly she gets male attention yeah yeah can they tell us sure doesn't matter (laughs) they don't they don't they don't care portraying us as sexually desirable is it's a very validating vindicating thing and a refreshing it was a refreshing thing to see on screen but the craziest thing of all is that it was gay. It was it was yep. it was sapphic and and their relationship it is a it is a lesbian relationship. You know, they wanted to portray like a queer relationship fairly and accurately. And that's what they're doing. It's a relationship yeah. that's destined to fail because like so many relationships, it's built on the foundation of idealism. 
because like Nate, Rue yeah. idealizes um, Jules as well. She is a manic pixie dream girl. Yep. And her unreliable narrator eyes. She's yeah. a manic pixie dream girl. Jules is a drug to her. Yep. Quite literally, you know. Yeah. To talk, to talk a little bit about uh, another way that Euphoria really resonated with me was its portrayal of addiction and its intersection with mental mm-hmm. illness. One, This is one of the most compassionate portrayals of addiction that I have ever seen on screen. And that that may sound strange to say, given that it's uh, it's not terribly flattering. Like, yeah, I, I don't understand people who say that this glamorizes uh substance abuse because it it it, 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 it it really does not they like in in the second episode rue says uh i know you're not allowed to you know say it but drugs are kind of cool uh and her whole like thing that she's doing getting high with jewels and then it directly cuts to her getting you know taken off by the paramedics having the vomit wiped off her face uh when she od but she's like well yeah they're cool at first and then <laughs> and then they destroy you as as a because i am uh, addict and user uh myself uh, have been for a long time uh various recreational and, and prescribed drugs rue's behavior especially in the second season watching as uh a user and someone who understands what that lifestyle is like rue's behavior stresses me the fuck out like like she goes from like like oxys to injecting heroin and then doing whatever Elliot was doing um and then using Adderall to restart her heart it's like oh my god that is reckless as shit especially like just shooting up and then going and doing other unknown drugs with with somebody in right. the laundry room like and probably drinking at the party too yeah and Elliot and I love you know how Elliot comes around and is supportive in the in the intervention um because you know he recognizes like as as an as a user like this isn't just addiction this isn't just like substance abuse this this is like she just keeps slipping more and more down that that hole and she goes into she enters the darkness and she starts like like being mean to people that are good to her yeah i feel like it's almost a splash of reality of how like you know actions even if they're not entirely within our control and some of them are a string of consequences. The consequence of this is that is that you know, yeah, has falling outs with like Ali briefly and 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 Jules and 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 her mom and her sister, and then you hear really harsh things at times. And I feel like they're modeled off of real life. <laughs> I do because yep. Sam Levinson yep, no. was channeling a lot of his own kind of like views uh, of his own experiences, but also like something that Levinson also does with like Euphoria is like that addiction. That framing, that framework of addiction is found in Rue's romanticism and romance with Jules. And because Jules functions Mm -hmm. as a drug. It's all connected. Everyone in the show wants the same thing. Euphoria. To feel good. To feel okay. Because that's, that's the thing. That's the reality of not just the world of Euphoria, but our world no one is doing okay the reasons for that are mere well okay the reason is the reason is capitalism <laughs> but uh there are no set solutions like substance use and abuse is a strategy for dealing with it romance and sex and relationships are a strategy for dealing with it it comes down to a very primal thing for for 
for all of them. And it's right. just... everybody wants to feel good and kind of navigate this society that they're living in. This is, but, but the thing is like, it's a society that is like destined that, that makes it destined for them to fail and destined for them to kind of like succeed mm-hmm. and, and, and live and be happy. They're all, they're all victims in, in one way or another, whether it be like to their own yeah. mental health issues that, you know, their, their addictions there, um, or, you know, at the hands of somebody else. So there's, there's a lot of interesting things going on there. Like w- when it comes to like how, how the show like kind of like explores like relationships in particular. And, and sometimes this is friendships too. The way it depicts the reality of things, because it is a very expressionistic show and it like the emotions and whatnot are heightened by the artistry, but it's portrayal of reality is stark and, uh, uh, very damning especially with regards to addiction because that's that's the thing why do they keep forgiving her why do they keep putting up with her why do they let this continue um why do fez says it in the first seasons like you can never take anything an addict says personally because drugs make you a different person and that's just the 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 way the reality of that is portrayed is heartbreaking tragic visceral and so real as as well as like the the wider culture of drugs and the drug industry itself because like and and that's something i appreciate about the second season is it interrogates that very very much like the relationship between violence and and its, and its relationship to like um fez and ashtray growing up that that basically primes like the ending of season two like yeah all of a chain of events like um so it seems like, you know, heightened reality and fun, you know, haha, it's funny in the first episode of the show where we meet, oh, haha, this drug, this drug dealer is a, 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 a street hard, uh, 10 year old or 12 year old. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, haha, that's so cute. That's so funny. Um, that is a reality that he was, re- he was socialized to basically be an adult a lot sooner in life, more than he is he actually capable of. Kids like that exist. It, children have like that have been made by the system and the industry. And their ashtray was never going to have a happy ending. Like he, he had one path, and that was and that was it. And honestly, it's it's really sad. Um, Angus Cloud, who portrayed Fezco, um, dying recently from a. a unintentional overdose that's that's tragically ironic yeah exactly because like for the character of fesco he, he was essentially playing himself like, like he, he was someone like literally like they just plucked off the streets and and you know sam was like you got the stuff can you you know you want to play yourself uh, angus cloud also like i've heard like things like about him about like kind of like having like a lot of like run-ins with like bad people or something i think he was involved in a hit and run even like mm, like shit yeah there like there's there's a lot of uh gray clouds surrounding inga's cloud um yeah and just the the reality of the world of drugs that is portrayed in euphoria is is very palpable is very real and very scary because you know it's one of those parts of the world that is a scary place. And, and, and I think when people say like oh it's just endorsing drug use it's like glorifying it i think that just like absolutely ridiculous it's it's directly interrogating the romanticism of drugs and and, and yeah and of, i have no idea of kind get of that like being from. like you know 
a girl boss, you know, drug dealer, um, and and how quickly that yeah. fell through. Um, those, those like always just yeah. be a dead end, and kind of like how we glorify people, but also it's like also how we glorify our partners, our like romantic interest. You know, I mean, it's pretty. You know, yeah. and, and as far as when people say like, "Oh, Jules is cheating on real," no. Like Ali says and, and clarifies, like, when did y'all talk about being in a relationship yeah, but, and all that stuff? Right. <laughs> but then also in the second season, Jules kind of hooks up with, like, uh, Elliot. But she, so was Rue. Like, they, were okay. both, they, they were both two-timing each other. The, the problem is what it has always been between Rue and Jules. Um, well, in addition to the drugs. Communication. Yeah communication which and the lack of of proper communication feeds the romantic love bubble that that lesbian love bubble yeah real what i really love about like euphoria is like and and why we kind of like decided to like make this like the season one finale is because it directly deals with pretty much all of the things we've been talking about this on this on this uh podcast thus far Uh, euphoria is a very uh holistic look at gender in the 21st century and the thing that we're undergoing right now that i call the gender revolution or the gender weird revolution um because we're undergoing a change in regards to the social construction of gender we are like deconstructing it euphoria is i think a an incredibly revolutionary show in how it portrays the 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 reality of being an individual um in in the middle of that gender revolution and therefore mm-hmm. Everything we've talked about in each one of these these episodes be found in mm-hmm. Euphoria. When we were talking about like Persona and Mulholland Drive in episode three, we talked about like lesbian love bubbles, like the way that these like supposedly male artists explore their own femininity through female characters and through like the idealization of women especially in the context of relationships. It's the search for the lost femme and that's what's going on with Sam Levinson in relationship to Rue and Jules and quite honestly Nate and Jules as well then in like episode four we were talking about like funeral pretty roses and Shinjuku boys and we talked about transness as gender performance and this is like present in the concept of like postmodern gender revolution not to mention like all the Oedipal themes that are kind of like present in um so much of like the the inner workings of the relationships in Euphoria are very much like wall to wall -wall edible edible shit all all of them like you know rue gets onto drugs you know she misses her father and then she basically treats jewels as a drug and then you know with nate and cal that's a pretty obvious one i mean like for goodness sake the lust after the same woman um and and nate is like always living in his father's you know shadow and he wants to ultimately kill him (laughs) you know nate is a bottom (laughs) he wants to be dominated and the problem is that the dominant force in his life is his father is his you know is repressed father gender weird edible shit all over in episode five where we talked about uh hedwig and the angry inch and in a year with 13 moons um we talked at length about the um the idea of medical transition and the pressures for surgery and conformity to traditionally taught to us as being you know how to be trans in the jewels a special episode fuck anyone who's not a c-blob she, she interrogates this so, like she talks very frankly about uh wanting to go off her hormones or or off her blockers and i know in my video i kind of 
like talk a lot about like the special maybe more than I needed to but that's because I've had people ask me is Jules detransitioning it's like it's not that simple she's more like owning gender on her own terms not like you know patriarchy's terms she's 17 17 like nobody even if someone transitions very you know young like in their at the age Jules did like they don't have themselves all the way figured out at 17. Nobody does. I am almost 30, and I am still, like Jules, uh, questioning the way I'm regulating my, my, my hormones and just the, the femininity mm-hmm. versus masculinity of the way I present and, and, and shit like that. Like, I'm, like, I'm still, I'm still on a gender journey. Euphoria, in terms of, like, how revolutionary, like, it's, like, queer and trans representation is, like, it it doesn't get uh, it gets some props for that but it doesn't get like enough props for that and and if we look at like something like what we talked in like episode six about something like closet and disclosure like like just how piecemeal um a lot of gay representation was and how much it was like reserved to subtext which is interesting but like it, it's like we, we we reached a point where we should be on we should be yep. beyond subtext unless you're you know a david cronenberg or you know i want to see things (laughs) more directly like i don't care about like the piecemeal stuff and i don't care about like assimilationist you know things one it's downright criminal that euphoria wasn't even mentioned at all or hunter schaefer wasn't mentioned at all in that disclosure documentary but that's that's, well they sample like a sample clip of, of euphoria briefly the point is it does not get enough props for how revolutionary it was um, back in episode seven, when we talked about Fight Club and the Matrix and how they, they captured the zeitgeist of 1999, um, in terms of both queerness, gender, and its relationship to the strife of neoliberal capitalism, Euphoria is, you can, you can see, you can definitely see seeds of that because Euphoria started in 2019. It's 20 years after, after these movies, um, and 20 years of neoliberal capitalism since then and it uh it still Mm -hmm. sucks uh suburbia is still hell um the we're stuck in a stuck in a a program that does not a system that does not have our best interests at heart that wants us to be miserable when all we want is to be happy and it 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 fucks us up it shows us how much things have changed and versus how little things have changed because it is a little bit of both and then in, in like episode eight, when we talk about like short busts in love, we were kind of exploring like the polyamory and, and non-monogamy, which is something that's like found all throughout um, Euphoria. Once all again, throughout. all of the problems that Rue has with Jules would just be alleviated if they communicated better about like what they want from because they're both kind of a little bit on the poly side, uh-huh. like, and that's and that's kind of like people need to be able to share more and not be so self-centered because they feel like you know it's a threat to oneself if two people have the same girl you know yeah. which uh, even though like secretly you know as we said you know nate likes the idea of mckay and him sharing the same girl and also in that episode we talked about the uh the intersections and and, and divided between pornography and art and since euphoria has generated a lot of discussion and criticism about the way it portrays sexuality um and how explicit it is um just the the, the questions of how it is ethically produced i mean from what i can tell it seems like it's relatively ethical and and it's like in its production for oh, yeah. you know at least like like it doesn't seem to deviate from the standard it, they just go in further places yeah. but then when people are saying oh you know it should be less sexual and all that it's like okay so what do you want everything reserved for pornography instead do you why not have more challenging works of art 
and euphoria i think is that yeah zoomers are raised on like a generation where it's where porn is like more easily accessible than it ever has been um and so a lot of kids are like yeah. consuming not just porn but also like furry stuff and uh whatever fills their niche like they can find it on the internet you know whether it be fetish stuff or whatever so that's why when mckay tries to have sex with cassie for their first time he he's so aggressive with her you know he chokes her because he gets that from porn and it's not uh, the same metatextual commentary is made in assassination nation yep. like every every guy tries uh choking me the first time we have sex like she literally says that yeah um and and that's and that's something to like like consider like like how prominent like porn is and 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 that's something that sam levinson seems interested in dealing with also uh i guess it's time to go there um child pornography is something that's like um more specifically you know explicit images and uh and videos of somebody that's underage cal's downward spiral all comes from the fact that you know he hooked up with a 17 year old in the first episode uh and then and, and filmed it and then that tape getting out there because the, and those are some that assassination nation deals with but then also likewise jules is kind of being blackmailed against like with her nudes child pornography is something that in the modern in the modern day we need to evolve our understanding of it because we need to reinvestigate it because like yes on one hand i'm all for like protecting kids and including teenagers who are the ones who are taking photos of themselves but why is it there's it can be a state where it's legal for them to have sex you know, let's just let's just say just keep it all in the high school setting. You know, high school to have sex with another high schooler. Why is it that that's legal, but sending photos of themselves isn't? Yeah. So what Sam Levinson is interested in doing is really investigating kind of the um, contemporary anxieties about our private information, and especially when it comes to porn. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's what also what probably irks people so much about the show, and, and maybe they're not even necessarily pinpointing it correctly, is the fact that it's kind of interrogating like our assumptions about how the world of how the world ought to work and and how we ought to treat um, teenagers. <laughs> you know, um, I really like how this like directly relates to like the youth. What this show does is, is it shows the queer struggle today, uh, the intergenerational queer struggle at that, the state of queer youth, um, which is what we were just talking about in the last episode on Call Me By Your Name and Carol. In Euphoria, all of the adults are just as much like confused children as the act- as the teenagers are. And it's like we are all children in the 21st century. Like we are all children who do not know what we're doing. Um the adults are the adults are just as confused and dysfunctional as their kids are and that negatively affects you know b- both of them and yeah the, the 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 portrait it paints of uh how difficult how difficult living through the apocalypse is is, is. <laughs> um so yeah so yeah we euphoria kind of euphoria kind of embodies like all of most all the shit we've been talking about for uh, the the last many, many months. Euphoria? Above anything else that I can think of that's, like, mainstream and has that, like, place in culture today that's being made today, it's, like, the only thing that I feel like really exists that, that, uh, that embodies the direction of um, queer youth today. People want to um, say that we shouldn't like 
deal with these kind of subject this kind of subject matter but no we do we it because it's something that exists in reality and we need to examine it through our art thinking about the children means thinking about the children and exploring the issues that they're facing and dealing with and something that we really need to do is we need to reinvestigate the ways in which we talk about teenagers about children about um like the youth of today um because quite frankly we tend to fall back on very conservative approaches and guess who's upholding yeah pedophilia the most that is the systems of um power that exist um especially in like the united states today you know the catholic church you know the family the family structure yeah people police officers you know people that we trust our kids with you know military you know recruiting kids you know as they're like getting ready to finish up high school you know we live in a society where the where child predation is the norm is the standard yes and that's the thing you know with art we have to we have to examine kind of the world and and for all of its darknesses because that is how we understand things better how we understand like kind of like um our own social political dispositions and that's why I think that, you know, works of art like Euphoria really do kind of like are very much like emblematic of, of the you know state that we're living in. Texts like Euphoria are revolutionary and we need to not be afraid of engaging with them, even though they make us uncomfortable, because that's the idea. Yeah, they make us uncomfortable because the world is a very uncomfortable place and if we're ever going to understand it, we need to be able to honestly interrogate it and uh, question it and critically examine it. You know, moving forward, you know, second season onward, whatever that's going to look like in the uh, in the future, like like we want to continue investigating media. Quite honestly, the world at large, the relationships we have with you know with each other, with ourselves, broaden kind of the conversation. We're hoping that through this podcast, like you gain insight. You know, maybe you don't have to agree with everything that we say, but we want to be able to challenge like the way that you think currently, because if you're complacent with kind of like how you think now, that's not a good thing. You have to challenge that, interrogate that. And maybe that'll end up just reaffirming your your current positions. That's fine. But engaging with it is the important part. Engaging with it and not be so afraid to be called you know, names to be judged and you want to be able to stand defiant, stand up for yourself and what you believe in. And like, and moving forward, I don't want you to just like start looking at films as just like entertainment. It, no, film should be like a means of engaging with the world more critically and, and with more um, depth and understanding, not a means of escaping it. Yeah, there is nothing to escape to. So to, to remember that we cannot escape our reality, we cannot escape the conditions that uh, surround us, these structures, th- through the structures themselves, like escape is not an option, confrontation, you know, and, and, and the comfort and escape complacency, that's what is imposed on us as well. Yeah, we're encouraged and incentivized to be complacent and not question things. And we say, fuck that. Because that's the only way we're going to change the world is by getting weird. We are going to be back for season two. Not sure precisely precisely when. We're still working out uh, working out kinks and whatnot. 
<laughs> yeah, all the kinks. <laughs> um, but we do, but we are going to like widen our scope to talk about, because like Euphoria, the show is very, very, very much about sexuality and gender and all that, but it is also about so much more, like everything else, like addiction, mental health, capitalism, etc. And in season two, what we want to do is, is branch out more and talk about you know, all the rest of the stuff in society and how it relates to intersectionality, intersectionality. Oh yeah. Oh, we're Mm going to talk about religion. Y'all, y'all love that. (laughs) Um, pedophilia. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk more about, uh, about, about that. Um, because that's a, it's a defining characteristic of our species and our society. And that's, uh, something worth examining. (laughs) It's a uh, it's a little bit surreal to kind of like wrap this up um, since like we this is like the tenth episode now but like I I I will I will say this much I I'm proud of like what I've been able to like put out with you Vivian and mm. like your contributions because quite honestly I can't imagine like okay maybe Elaine but um, I can't <laughs> imagine too many people that I can like really. Um, that are really on my wavelength and be able to kind of like talk about media in the ways that I have quite honestly always been wanting to talk about them. It's also good to have somebody that that constantly does challenge me and, and like helps like broaden my scope of the world and kind of like, and and like understand that. And like media is like ultimately kind of like a, or like think of them like parables, parables to kind of like a gateway to understanding the world more. It's not like foolproof, but like, I think that that's kind of like, that's like the utility of media, in my opinion. Yeah. And to be media literate means to have a better grasp of the world by extension of having a good grasp on media. And quite honestly, I think that you have a brilliant grasp on on media, and that's like why I'm like like proud to like have you as like a as like my co-host on oh. my, on my podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, our podcast, but yeah, I, I yeah. Uh, well, I saw on Spotify or Apple Music like the copyright it says Vivian Strange. I was like, oh, I guess it's your podcast. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I did have kind of like come up with the original concept and bring it to you, but like it, it wouldn't be, <laughs> it wouldn't be anything like you know without you because I couldn't do all the stuff myself. And also, Jane does the editing, uh, <laughs> the editing for things, and she makes it all sound really good and makes it work work together. And yeah, we're we're really you challenge me consistently as well and you know but you're also very receptive to my more uh, out there ideas that would draw argument from a lot of <laughs> most other people yeah and- i imagine some i imagine some listeners probably are like how come nobody's challenging or how come nobody's like fighting each other on this and, and to be quite <laughs> honest i just like i keep to myself a lot of the time but i am quite a radical thinker i don't agree with everything you say but like it's it's for the sake of like yeah you know conversation it's it's an interesting kind of like jumping off point i think you're able to provide yeah. that quite well yeah and you too it's uh it's been very rewarding and very this is probably my favorite thing that i've made and it created as a uh as a creator and an artist really so far um so far yeah so far it's gonna be topped by whatever whatever we do next um definitely season two because season two is gonna be we're just gonna blow ourselves out of the water Mm -hmm. in the meantime um don't forget we both have uh channels on youtube where we make videos um jane's is called style is substance mine is just called vivian strange um 
be sure to be sure to check those out and watch some of our videos because there's there's a lot of overlap between the things we talk about here and things we talk about in our own videos. Yeah, um, like for example, we both have Euphoria videos exactly like, on, <laughs> on YouTube, so check those out. Yeah, um, James is really good. Also, make sure to like check out our our uh, Patreons um, because, quite frankly, we need more money. <laughs> yeah, li- living is a is a bit of a challenge, right? And it's, it seems to be like a lot of work without actually much pay, and and it's good yeah. to have like it's good to like be incentivized and and not just feel like everything's kind of just like going to like the void, even though I'm sure a lot of it is. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but you know, I'm I'm all for it. Uh, I'm all for like you know like coming on here. This is like I quite frankly I kind of like doing like podcasting more than I like uh, doing my channel. Um, but yeah, uh, make sure to like kind of like give us money. We both have separate Patreons, so please give us both money. Give, uh, give us a lot. If you have a lot, just give us a yeah. lot. It's, it's like it's fine. Also, I am start uh, me Vivian. Uh, am starting an OnlyFans soon um, to you know capitalize on my uh, desirability um, because you know that's because the economy. But um, but yeah. So also. You know, follow me on social media for updates to that. If that's if you're into that kind of thing, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, best best most direct way to contribute to um, mine and Jane's creative uh, endeavors is to check out our Patreons. Um, uh, and yeah, um, yeah, consider becoming, becoming, one of our pa- uh, becoming one of those. Also, like share our work around. That's also kind of important. Spread the word. We have this podcast. We have our channels. I have oh yeah some films I'm making with with my girlfriend. But like we 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 have stuff there, and and it seems like people enjoy it, or at least like to engage with it. Let's yeah, get more. Let's get the ball rolling. So so be on the lookout for season two. Um, as for now, um, thank you to all of you for continuing to listen and watch the movies along with us. Yeah, thanks thanks to everybody who listened. It truly it truly does mean the world to me. If if you like are listening on YouTube or, or anything like that, um, do comment more. We, we we like to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, we really like comments. Yeah, <laughs> guys, girls, goobers, uh, have a have a good one. We'll see you next season. And as always, don't forget to stay gay. Take care, everybody. Love you. Bye. Bye.